Hi, I'm Cody Elaine Oliver. I created the popular Black Love docuseries with my husband after seeing the lack of Black people in media and entertainment in happy, loving relationships. We were actually being told there was a Black marriage crisis. So I asked Black people who were married what it takes to make their marriage work. And after more than 200 interviews, I've heard it all. So buckle up and enjoy getting the full story directly from the couples themselves. This is Black Love, The Interviews. I was, I started when I was 18. I met you when I was 19, right? Yeah. And he was 23. Camp Deep Creek. I worked there first. Uh, I worked there when I was a college student. First summer, it was all girls. Second summer, he came. I had a crush, but he didn't pay me any attention. Uh, it was overnight camp, and we, we were there for eight weeks for the summer. Every two weeks, we'd get a new group of kids, and they would stay overnight for two weeks, and then we'd have a weekend off, and then we'd come back on Monday for the next group. And so, uh, second summer, you came. But second summer, he came, and he didn't pay much attention to me. And then the third summer, he came back, and he did pay attention. And... Yeah, I was actually, um, the first year I was coming off a divorce, I was married before. Um, I got married when I was young. And so when I met her, I was in, you know, just going through changes. She was, she had a boyfriend. So, you know, we were up there for eight weeks. There was female and male. So I had a little girlfriend up there. And um, so we kind of just was just remained friends. Uh, the second year when I came back, um, the person that I was seeing, that first year it wasn't there. And um, and um, I guess she was going through changes with her boyfriend. So I guess they opened up the door for me to come in. <laughs> and uh, we started talking mm -hmm. and started hitting it off. And I was up there for eight weeks. Yeah. Eight weeks, uh, two weeks, the children would stay. And then a new, new batch of children would come. Uh, so we would have the weekends off. And during that weekend, you know, we would go our separate ways, but um, sometimes me and her, we would meet up and just have a little dinner date. Um, and then Sundays, everybody meet back at the camp and we have like a little party. Mm -hmm. Sunday night. Uh, you know, we'd be dancing and stuff. So she was my dance partner all the time. And um, that's when it started for us. And it was nice because we both loved outdoors. And it was deep creek in the middle of the woods. Um, and we both love children, so it just was a, a good fit. And even now, when we bought this house, we've been here three years, yeah. this house had been empty. And we had looked at about a dozen houses, and we walked in this house, and I said, it smells like camp. <laughs> and, and we both fell in love with the house, and so. Well, um, after camp was over with, um, of course, we were dating each other. And um, so that meant that I had to, we had to go back to our lives. Um, she was going to school, University of Pennsylvania. Um, at the time, I was unemployed. And I was in search of a job. So while searching for a job, we always just kept in contact. And the relationship grew. And it stayed after camp. After we started dating in camp, we never stopped. Yeah. And she, um, she wanted to get pregnant with our first child, which is Devin. And that was... Uh, 85. 85. And... Um, uh, when we get married? 80, 85. 85. <laughs> 85. <laughs> and we moved in together. And what was good was um, meeting Donna, we found out that we had a lot in common. She grew up in the projects on 46 and Market Street. I grew up in the projects in South Philly and 13th and Fitzwater. Um, she comes from a single parent. I come from a single parent family. And it was just so much we had in common. I'm a high school dropout. She's a college <laughs> graduate. So, you know, so, so it, from that point on, we started. It was, it was like night and day with us as far as uh, our, our educational backgrounds and, and stuff like that. And, but. Um, we bonded. When I first saw Donna in camp, 
what attracted me to her. Um, but I was with one of the guys and he was like, yeah, let's, let's go in and see what the girls were doing because the girls had the cabin for themselves. And, um, they were playing, I think y'all were playing cards or something. They were doing something. But they were all sitting around like a powwow on the floor. And me and a guy walked in and, and she looked up at me and I also saw these big eyes and I was hooked. And, um, you know, from that point on, uh, it was just developing a relationship outside camp. I got a job. I got very, I had various jobs, um, doing security, doing maintenance, doing other things. And um, uh, then when she got pregnant, at that time I was working for the school board uh, in the cafeteria. And you were working for the post office. Oh. No, I was just no, you school. School. I was working for daycare. School. Yeah, daycare. 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 Teaching daycare. And um, so what I did was um, I got a second job. Worked at St. Joseph University as a security guard full time. And then I would work school in the cafeteria full time. So I would be there at 7 to 3 and then have to shoot over to my other job, which is on 79 Avenue, which was maybe about 45 minutes to work from 4 to 12. And I did that for a year. And she had the child, which was Devin. And um, How was that? I, I appreciated it because he, one thing I can say, he's always worked hard. And he worked two full-time jobs, you know, the whole time. And I would, uh, I would go up to St. Joe's because he was campus security. So I would go meet him for lunch or go hang out sometimes to see him because he was working all the time. But um, he did what he needed to do to take care of the family. So I appreciate it. And where we lived was um, around the corner from my, where I actually grew up because um, we were in South Philly until I was at the age of 11. And then we moved to Southwest Philly. And so when my mother moved, my grandmother was also in the project. She moved out uh, maybe about a year later. And she lived right across the street from where So um, when we got our apartment together, we were around the corner from my mother and my grandmother. And uh, my mother loved this woman. <laughs> when you guys got pregnant, what was the response from your families? Can I start with his response? Yes. <laughs> because I was a senior at the University of Penn, about to graduate, and he was ecstatic. <laughs> and I was like, you don't get it. This is like, oh, this is not the time for this. And he was just ecstatic because he just figured that we were going to be together. And we, we were engaged already, so we had already been planning to get married, so it, it moved things up. My mother was not thrilled, but you know, I graduated. Um, I think that was most important. His mother, I think your mother. She didn't care. She was, she was my fine. mother, my mother, well see, I, had, I got married when I was 17. She uh, wasn't happy about that one. <laughs> no, she wasn't happy. I was 17, I was, um, she, I actually went to West Philly High and dropped out. She dropped me out of West Philly High in my 10th grade, first year. Uh, sent me to Job Corps, which was in uh, West Virginia, to blip up in the hills. Uh, I've never seen as many trees before in my life. First time out of Philadelphia. Um, and then that's where I met my first wife. And we were married for like five years, three children out of the marriage. And um, so when I came back home, um, three children and a wife, ex-wife later, you know, and then to meet my wife and get married again and to have another child. And my mother already been through the ringer, so, you know. But, like I said, my mother uh, really took a liking to Donna. And um, they spent a lot of time together. Uh, me and my mother wasn't, we didn't have the best close relationship. I was more closer to my grandmother. And um, so we would, we would argue a lot sometimes. And, uh, but her and Donna, they got along fine. When I met him, he had, when he came to camp, when he moved back to Philadelphia from West Virginia, how long were you were, he was at his mom's for a while before he started working at camp. I was there for about, oh. a, about a year. So when I met him, initially I didn't know that he was, had been, cause he was young, he was 23. <laughs> um, so after we started dating, I found out that he, um, he had an ex-wife and, and children and, 
he was always a part of their life. That was important for me and still is. So. Yeah, I think that, that would solidify the relationship. I love my children. Yes. And she, um, she was, she wanted to be a part of that. So, you know, I, I was like, okay, you know. And through the, through the beginning of the marriage, it was hard for my children. And I, I don't know if it was, I, I wouldn't say it was hard for her because my children had to get used to her. I remember my, um, my, my youngest son, <laughs> one day he was visiting us and he, we were all in the house together. So me and Donna were, was upstairs, uh, going upstairs and he was in the vicinity. And we just kissed, you know. And what did he ask you? No, you were about to take me home and you kissed me. Right. Paul Jr. was six. And he said, don't kiss my daddy. So. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, why? He said, because I love my daddy. I said, I love your daddy too. Paul Jr. is now Paul is 30. 34. He still loves his daddy to death. <laughs> so, but we, um, I think it helped that they, they would come summers and they would spend time with us. And, and we actually which we'll talk about later, when, when he was incarcerated, we actually probably became even closer. If you talk to anybody who knows us, um, we have always loved each other, always. We married in 85. Both worked, both, we were living in Southwest Philadelphia. We got to a point where we wanted to get out of the city because the schools in Philadelphia were, were not good. So we talked about moving to Virginia. We talked about doing other things. At this time, Paul Jr. and, and Clifton were probably 14, 15 years old. Paul Jr. came to live with us, PJ, lived with us for 95, I think. He lived with us for a year. And then he moved back to West Virginia. And during that time, um, the boys had gotten involved with, with selling drugs. And I said to him, I said, you need to talk to them. You need to tell them this is not cool. This is not what they want to do with their lives. What I didn't realize is that he began to join them. He knew me well enough to know that he couldn't be a drug dealer and be my husband. <laughs> so we had some issues and, and he decided, you know, he was going to leave. At the time, I didn't, I didn't understand why. And, and I found out later. Um, some things and so around 95 we separated interesting never forget January 1st 1995 you know you make New Year's resolutions and I prayed because at the time I was in church I was saved he was not and I prayed that God would save him I said God if you don't do anything else I want you to save my husband because I couldn't imagine him spend an eternity in hell. And 95 was when things just fell apart. And I prayed and things got worse. And it seemed like the more I prayed, the worse things got. And he left, you left I think in 95? 96. 96, he kind of did back and forth for a while. Um, 97, I filed for divorce. And he refused to sign my divorce papers. And he was not living with me at the time. Actually, he was living with somebody else in West Virginia and he was doing his drug thing and, and that wasn't going to work for, for me and my kids. And I'd send him the divorce papers and he wouldn't sign them and he'd come see the kids and I'd give him the divorce papers and he wouldn't sign them. So, I shouldn't say this on camera, but I signed them for him. <laughs> I signed them, uh, got it notarized, got divorced. Uh, I remember when I got my divorce papers in 98. I, I laid across my bed and I cried because I didn't divorce him because I didn't love him. I always loved him, but that lifestyle wasn't acceptable for me or for my children. And I, and I tell my daughter often, you have to you have to establish your boundaries in a relationship, and you have to know what's acceptable, and that wasn't acceptable. But from '95 on, I continued to pray for him 
and it just seemed like she just, and I got to the point where, you know how you say things can't get any worse? I stopped saying that. Because every time I said things cannot get any worse, they got worse. <laughs> they got worse and they got worse. And, um, but during that time, I also um, got divorced in 98. And although we had planned to move to Virginia together, I ended up moving to Virginia Beach. And my mother was ill at the time and getting dementia. We knew she had to go with me. His mother had just been diagnosed with lung cancer and they had given her three to six months to live. And so I told her if she wanted to go with me, she could. And my mother insisted she wasn't going. <laughs> and his mother called my mother and said, you can stay here if you want, I'm going with Donna. <laughs> so both of them moved to, with me to Virginia Beach. And uh, I lived there for seven years. And 2000? That's when I got arrested. She got convicted. Well, you know, um, coming from a poor neighborhood and just poor all my life, um, my grandmother, I was closer to my grandmother, and my grandmother had passed. We were living in Winfield. So the house was available. We moved into the house. It was a hard time for me. Um, and I, th I think I told her that living in that house was hard for me. Um, I felt that I failed my grandmother because at the time, I didn't have a skill. And I started dueling around with cars. Actually, I was doing security work and I needed a car. And my, I have a half brother who's a mechanic at that time, but he, had been, he, he was in Vietnam. And when he came out, he's been an alcoholic ever since. And um, he used to just do, he'll come in, fix your car, tear it apart, and then you wouldn't see him for a couple months. So <laughs> I needed my car. So um, he had my car tore apart. And so I, I bought a book and I started looking at the pictures and it took me about a month. I put that car together. It was a few bolts left over, but that car started up. And so she was like, you might as well just follow your education, just you know, go to school. So at that time, at this time now, she was working for the post office mm -hmm. and I was working for the um, school board mm -hmm. and Devin was born. So um, I went to Penco Tech became an automotive, a gas and diesel tech. And um, so when my grandmother passed, I had dreams to take care of my grandmother. And when she passed, I felt like I failed. My mother, you know, we were still at odds with each other. So living in that house was hard for me. Um, so I was looking for some get rich uh, schemes to put my family in a better place because we, we were just living from check to check. We were struggling. And um, so, during the back and forth trip to West Virginia, my kids were getting older. My two boys, they were into selling drugs. I thought it would be a quick way to make some money and come back and get my dream, which was the, a, a garage, my own business, and just put my family on Easy Street. And that's what got me into it. So um, I wasn't prepared for the things that came with it, you know, making the money and, and all the attention. Um, I was around a lot of women. Uh, I was making a lot of money. And at the same time, I know I was guilty because I, I had a woman that I really loved, but I wasn't really treating her right. I cheated on her. Um, on top of cheating on her, um, it was just, uh, I was like, just hold off, telling myself, just hold off, let me make this money. I'm going to be back. But the lifestyle started growing on me. And I've always smoked uh, marijuana. I never drank, made drink a little beer and smoked cigarettes. And she knows this, I always, always did that. So when I went up there in West Virginia and I was doing those things, I started drinking and, and I was just more or less to keep her off my mind. So when the papers came through, I was actually had my two sons living with me. I was living with this young lady and we were selling drugs out of there and I wasn't going to sign. I just felt like she was a part of me still and that I was coming back sooner or later, you know. But I didn't know the effect that what I was doing, uh, you know, the effect that was having on her. He had been arrested a few times. He mm -hmm. had gotten, be, okay. I didn't always know there was a difference between jail and prison. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> so he had gone to jail a couple times because he would get caught every now and then 
doing small stuff, but he never did long time. But we were always in contact. And uh, do you remember you called me and told me you were sleeping in your car? Yeah. Yeah, he was always, he was always, we always communicated even though we weren't together. And we weren't together because of the lifestyle he was living. And he, he called me one time and he said, I'm sleeping in my car. And I'm, you know, the bleeding heart. And I'm feeling bad. And, and I literally I hung up the phone and God was like, fool, he's not sleeping in his car. So I called him back and I said, you're lying. What are you talking about? I said, you're not sleeping in your car. He was like, who told you? I said, God told me. Said, Who'd you talk to? I was like, I didn't talk to anybody. God told me. Someone says he starts naming people. And, and literally God spoke to me and said, stop believing everything this person says. Like, like wake up, fool. And um, so I knew when he got arrested and did small time, um, when he went to federal prison, uh, in 2000, um, he ran initially. Um, and that was hard because we get calls, probably bounty hunters. I had to tell my children, if somebody calls here and asks for your father, tell them he doesn't live here. And we knew he was going away for a long time. And I started to go to the hearing, but I couldn't. I'm glad I didn't. Um, but he got, he got sentenced to, oh, you can tell him about the sentence. Yeah, it was um, uh, towards being arrested. I started getting caught a lot. And when she talked about the uh, car incident, I needed some money. So I told the person I was with, I said, you know what, my wife would give me some money. I just got to trick her. So I called until I was sleeping in the car, you know, so she can give me some money. And what I was trying to do with that money is re-up so I can get back on my feet because I had just got caught with some drugs and they took everything I had. That's what, I, that's what happened with that. And she, she just, she knew what's <laughs> up. So, but I got, I got caught and um, um, so uh, they indicted me in April of 2000. And what they do up there in West Virginia if you're not a flight risk, they let you back out on the street. So um, I'm out. I'm still hustling. I know that my court date was coming. And uh, uh, about a month before my court date, they come to me, the feds. They, they pull me up in a, in a store. And they said, we caught this guy. We want you to testify. Apparently, this guy has shot at me. Um, about months before uh, my indictment. And I was looking for him, and I never could find this guy. So they knew about it. So they wanted me to, to um, tell him this guy. To, to. So the day of my court date uh, to testify on this guy, I ain't show up. And I knew they'd come looking for me. So I started running. And I was traveling back and forth from West Virginia to Philly. Of course, that's where my family was. So I would stay a few days there and then stay in some hotels. And um, um, finally, when I was coming back to West Virginia, we were staying in a campsite. And we just went to go to a, a store to get something to eat. And uh, the person that I was with. And then on my way, uh, coming back from the store, a cop got behind me, ran the tags. It was out of state tag, Pennsylvania tag at the time. Tenant windows. They pulled me over, found out there was a hit on me, and they arrested me. And I didn't see daylight until 2008. Tell me about your sentence. Well, uh, 144 months. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, I had a, a, a court-appointed lawyer, and so uh, I took a plea um, because they said when you're dealing with the feds, you get more time. So, okay, I took the plea, and uh, so I go before the judge. And the judge was like, okay, you're, we're going to sentence you to 144 months. I said, okay. You got anything to say? I'm like, nope. <laughs> you know, so I, they take me back to the holding cell before they take me to jail. And I'm sitting in the holding cell. And I'm thinking about the 144 months. 
and I'm counting. I was like, 140, 12, 112. I said, that's almost 12 years. So now I'm really upset that I was sentenced to almost 12 years in prison, federal prison. And I didn't know what my relationship would be from this point on with my wife or my ex-wife at this time, uh, you know. When our kids were young, Tina was first grade, I think, and Devin was in seventh grade. Yeah. It was really hard for Devin. Well, um, when I went into prison, I was angry. Um, I had a few guys who snitched on me, who told on me, and so my mind set was to get back at these guys. I was real angry. Um, that was one side. The other side was that I wasn't going to be able to, you know, be with my children as they grow. I know eventually I would be getting out. So my focus was to get out of prison. Uh, the first couple years was spent filing for paperwork for, uh, what they call it, uh, uh, not a retrial, but, but to get back into courts and to get my sentence reduced. Um, I found out through uh, some information uh, uh, through friends and, and stuff that, uh, that the, the feds had did a little something different to my sentence to get me uh, some time. And uh, so I was trying to get back in court with that. So the two years that I spent, uh, which was uh, in Fort Dix, uh, which is a low uh, uh, prison, um, they, have, um, they have camp. Then they have low. The low has a fence around it. Then they have a medium. Then they have what they call a high. So I was in. A, I came in in a low. It was at um, Fort Dix. So those those I was there for three years. And those years was just trying to get back into court. Um, my wife at this time, um, they came to visit me one time with my mother. And at that time, my mother was suffering from the cancer. Um, so it was my mother, you, and... Devin and Tina. Devin and Tina, they came up and visited me there. And, um... Well, we were always in communication. Yeah, always. We always stayed, you know, uh, in communication with, you, with each other through the phone. Um, and then they moved me, and uh, what the feds do is uh, they move you to different facilities all over the country. And um, they moved me to Arkansas. Arkansas. I was devastated. Um, at the time, Devin was in middle school. I also, after I moved to Virginia Beach, my nephew came to live with me. So Devin was eighth grade, I think, or ninth. Malik was a year behind Devin in school, so I had two teenage boys. And my conversation with him was that you do not get a pass on being a parent because you're incarcerated. Because you can tell these boys better than anybody else why they don't want to live the lifestyle you're living. You can tell them the consequences of that lifestyle. So I was like, you don't get an excuse. So we were always in communication. Um, he became Devin's outlet. Just, you know, so you teenage boy, you know, when Devin, he always talked to the kids. Um, he and I would talk. Um, it would be frustrating for him because if I got mad, I'd just hang up the phone, which was not good for somebody calling you from prison. Couldn't call And you, you can't, you have to wait to call back. It's like, and then he would call, let me talk to him. No, I'm not talking to your father. But, um, but he was always in contact with, with the kids. He was always in communication. And for Devin, things that he couldn't tell anybody else, he could tell his dad. Um, and that was for the whole time he was in prison, even when... Uh, Right before he got out, I was living in Pittsburgh, and Tina was middle school by then. And I remember I was going on a cruise, and she was with some my very dear friend in Pittsburgh. But I told him, I said, you have to call her every night while I'm gone, because I couldn't call her from sea. And he did. He called her every night. So. You know, when I went into prison, as we were going through our thing, um, 2004, I started to change. She had called me. Um, she was actually dating someone. And um, so she had called me and she told me, she said, listen, we got two children together. We got the foundation. She said, if you want to come and be together, come out and be together, you can't come out the same person you went in. I told her, I said, you know what? 
let me think about this. Because I knew that my wife was a good person. She, uh, when I met my wife, she was in, uh, in college. She was in the choir. She was going to church, you know. And at that time, I didn't believe in God. So it's 2004 now, and she's asking me this question. I have, I had kind of got over the anger of not being on the street and trying to get to these people who put me in there. And so I started um, overnight evaluating myself. And I told myself, I said, you know what? I'm gonna be with this woman. So I called her up the next day and I told her, I said, listen, yeah, let's, let's make this work. Well, first I had to find out what was my problems. And um, I, didn't, I didn't understand uh, God and Jesus Christ. And she spent so much time throwing things for the church. And when it was time for me, there was just no time. She was either tired or, you know. So I started um, studying um, black history. And black history led me to the Bible. And from that point, I started educating myself on not just history of, of, of people of color, but I started learning about the Bible. And while I was learning, I started changing and started, my eyes were starting to open up to a lot of things. A lot of things that this woman did for me, you know, and a lot of things that I've done in my life. See, before I went to prison, and she'll tell you, I had a problem with anger. I was impatient. I never liked to be around a bunch of men. And the other one was, um, patient not being around men. People telling you what to and, do. Yeah, and people telling me what to do. So what happens, I'm put in prison around a bunch of men. I can't go nowhere, so I gotta be patient. And I, be, I have to be careful on what I say to these guys in here, because I'm, I'm, I'm around a bunch of guys who I'm talking, I mean, strong killers, you know, so I have to watch my mouth, so my anger had to be put on hold, you know. So all, this, all these things I was learning um, at the same time, my mother passed, and um, she was with my mother to the end, until my mom took her last breath. Her mother had passed in 99, right, right, right before I went to jail, prison. So all this was coming to a head in 2004 for me in prison. And um, once I started learning about myself and my weaknesses, I started, started working on them. And, um, you know, we started just communicating on the phone and the conversation was much better. she tell you she used to hang up on me. Well, it got to the point where she wasn't hanging up on me now, you know, and, and we were starting to develop a relationship on the phone. Um, she wasn't with a friend no more. And, um, and, I, was, and I, was, I was getting a crash course on, on life. And in the process, uh, in the 2004 while I was in Arkansas, she came up and visited me and brought my two children. And um, they went back and it was, it was a beautiful visit, you know, to see her. And so it was just a lot of studying um, and finding out how can I correct myself. And I started understanding the Bible through study and just breaking scripture down. And the more I understood, the more I was, my life was starting to change. And, and I was getting a, a hold on a lot of things. And I remember laying on my, uh, on my back one night and I told her this. Um, I used to tell her a lot of things that I used to do on the street when I was selling them drugs. I got shot at, I shot at people. And um, one time I was going down the highway in a truck, flatbed truck, um, helping these people move this girl, so-called girlfriend of mine, and uh, um, we, was, we was going down this road doing 55, they had the truck packed up, and they had this recliner on the back with this string around it, and I was just standing up on the truck with the mattress, just, you know, while we was going down the road. And the truck came this way, and the backdraft of the truck lifted the mattress up, and I was trying to grab the mattress, and the mattress threw me off balance, and I was coming, I was moving forward towards the end of that truck. And I, even, I, I said, I'm even gonna live or die. Well, I didn't want to trip on a string. 
So I just jumped up in the air and went into a fetal position. I had sunglasses on, a scarf, short sleeve shirt, and, and sweatpants on. And when I hit that ground, I saw a sky and ground so fast. <laughs> and then I came to a stop right on the same path of the, uh, that the truck was driving. And um, my skin was all burned up and, and everything, but I was living. My glasses were still on, my scarf was still on my head, you know. But I tell you this because, I mean, I had people shoot at me point blank and never got hit. And I, I laid in there in the bed one night because I had a conversation with her. And she told me that she had been praying for me. That she prayed that I would get incarcerated. And then she prayed while I was out there doing the things that I was doing. So everything was starting to come together. I was starting to understand that, you know, the reason why I got through, I got through because this woman was praying for me, you know. And um, so our relationship started to change from that point. In his sentence, with federal prison, I think you have to do 80% of your time. So with a 12-year sentence, it would have meant 10 years at least. 2010 was my release date. And there was a, a law, I think it was the Second Chance Act. Mm -hmm. um, there was legislation that was around 2006, I guess, 2007, they started looking at um, the disparity in drug sentencing for crack cocaine versus powder cocaine. And it was about a two-year process at least. Um, but they changed the law and in so instead of 10 years, he actually got two years knocked off his sentence. Um, when he became eligible to have a reduced sentence, um, a lot of us wrote letters. Um, I wrote letters, friends wrote letters, because he had mentored some, some other young men other than my son and my nephew. He would write to my friend's daughter. and um, So he ended up serving eight years altogether. So he went in in 2000 and got released in this July 2008. It's interesting because um, it, it wasn't immediate. Um, there was a time in my life where I was like, I'll never remarry. I'll definitely never remarry him. And uh, I remember my cousin getting like, don't, you're too young to think like that. I said, I'm fine, I'm good. I don't ever have to marry again in life. And unless God parts the sky and says, I need you to marry that man, it'll never happen. Um, but he started to change. He started to change. Um, he was very angry, like you said, when he went in prison. Blamed everybody else for his situation, including me. And he started to change and recognize where, why he was in that position and recognize his role, accept accountability. Um, in addition to accepting accountability for who he was, he also got involved with just a really, he asked for a Bible. He asked for a Bible, I sent him an African Heritage Bible when he was in Arkansas. And that's when he first started reading. I knew enough about him to know that I always prayed. I mean, and I, I share with the children sometimes. I actually prayed from 95 to 2005. That's, it took 10 years for God to save him. Um, and during that time, I continued to pray for God to deliver him and, and, and to save him. And he got his first Bible and he loved the African Heritage Bible because he loves history. So he could connect things he had learned in history with that African Heritage Bible. And then when he moved, they moved him to uh, Loretto, Pennsylvania. And he got involved with a very dynamic Bible study and is still friends with a lot of those guys. And with that Bible study, he became, he started to change and become a different person. Um, he also, I dated, because he'd say, you need to date, you need to meet somebody, blah, 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 blah. Okay, five years I didn't date anybody. I finally started to date and, and I prayed. I had a laundry list of what I wanted and I said, God, I need you to send somebody who's going to accept me and my children who who knows the word and blah, blah, blah. And I had a laundry list and the enemy knows your prayers too. So the guy I ended up meeting was an ordained minister and I believe he came straight from the devil. Um, so that didn't work out. And I was like, wow, God, like I prayed. And, and this is what happened. He was very upset about that relationship because I was so devastated about this um, 
minister who had two wives and a girlfriend. It wasn't his wife and me, right? <laughs> anyway, um, but I was just devastated. But I think for him, I had always been there. Uh, I was that constant. And so when I actually did get out there and date, he wasn't feeling it. And I think we both became honest with each other after that, in that we really never stopped loving each other. We really wanted to be a family. Um, there were just certain things that were not acceptable. But as he began to accept accountability, become less angry, became closer to God, and really became grounded. Um, and I could even see a difference in his letters when he first went, you could, just his penmanship. You could see the anger and you could see God calming him down. And I often tell him, uh, we probably had this conversation a few weeks ago, that when I made the decision that I was going to remarry him, it wasn't because I trusted him, it was because I trusted God. <laughs> and I had prayed about it. And I don't, don't make any major life decisions without praying. I have often made major life decisions that other people question. Like when I took my mother and his mother to Virginia, people were like, you can't have three women in one house, that's not gonna work. My home was blessed. Um, and his mother, who had been given three to six months to live, lived for nine, nine years, I think, nine. Two, nine years. She lived with me until she died. Mm -hmm. So it was, I, I was prayerful and I trusted who he was and that God was changing him. And so much so that initially we, we had determined we were gonna get married when he got released. And it got to a point where I said, if one of us were to die tomorrow, I would want to die as his wife. So we did not wait until he got released. Um, we got married in 2006, 2006 in Loretto. Prison. It was, it was, well, first of all, at the time I was in Pittsburgh and, uh, Everybody thought I was, there was one, another one of those major life decisions that people were like, are you crazy? Like, I, but I've learned that there are times in my life when God will give me a piece about something and, and, and I know it's okay to proceed. And, uh, and people like, you're marrying him in prison, you don't know if he's gonna be the same. And, 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 but you can only get married one day a year in September. Um, <laughs> The mayor of the town will perform ceremonies. So the mayor, you have to make it on his calendar. And, um, and see, he always insisted throughout that we were still married because I had forged his signature. So he always insisted that he, we were still married. And I said, if we're going to live together when you come out, we have to get married again because we're not married. So that was like the ongoing debate. <laughs> but so, and, and literally you go in, you have your ceremony is, me, him, the mayor, and the guard, and the mayor does a little ceremony, and you get one little short kiss, and then you're on your merry way. <laughs> <laughs> so I always say we got married by the, the mayor of Oz, little man behind the curtain. <laughs> so, but that was our ceremony. It was prison as usual. It was, it we was. We got married, the event is over with, go back to yourself. Yeah, but we're gonna get married one more time. She wants to do it in church. Because we've never been married in church. The first time we got married at my mother's house. The second marriage was in prison. And, and I would like to get married in church. So we're going to have one more ceremony. Our third one's the charm. Is that what they say? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is what they say. Third one to the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, third one to the same guy. But I often tell people, I often talk about my first husband and my second husband. Because they are two different people. Yeah, we, we, and, and I'm different. We both, we both yeah, are she different grown, people. She's gotten stronger too. Yeah. And um, you know, it's just um, like you said, it's, <laughs> I, I changed. We got a fly flying around. You want to get him? Wrong man. Uh, <laughs> you want the sweater? Uh, <sighs> you know, Obama. He's a big <laughs> 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 But you know, um, the two people. You know, when, when the pastor, uh, every, every beginning of the month, he'll ask for anniversaries, wedding anniversary, whose birthday mm -hmm. is, is it? Right. And we'll stand up and he'll say, how long? 
and she'll go with the new, the, the younger mask where we, you know, and I'll say, well, I've known her for 30 years, you know, so she's saying it was two types of marriages. And it was, I was, I was this one person. Um, and in this relationship now, I'm this, this person. And it, the second marriage is a whole lot better, a whole lot better. I went to prison when I was 40 years old and I spent most of my 40s in prison. And not having a father, I always not only wanted to be my children's father, but their friend. Mm. Um, in prison, uh, I matured. Uh, I not only wanted to be the friend no more, I wanted to be a father to my children, which meant I had to say no and not agree to certain things that they were doing. Uh, the other thing was, um, becoming patient mm -hmm. to wait. And through reading and studying languages in, the, in, in, in literature, um, in, in the books that I read, and, and I read all types of things, planets, and world history, the Bible. Um, but when it comes to our marriage and reading scripture, I was reading Genesis one time because a lot of times in prison, when something happens, they lock you down and you have to stay in like a little room most of the day, sometimes for two days. So you don't have nothing but to read. And so I'm reading the Bible um, and it was talking about how God created man from the dust of the earth. And then he breathed into him, his lungs, the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. And I was reading that and I was like, wow, that's deep. And then it talks about how the woman, he made the woman to be the man's helpmate and that they would become one, joined at the hip. Well, I can't understand that because I already came from one marriage and then I messed up my second marriage. Um, so I, 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 was, I, I couldn't understand that. But then as I started um, dealing with my wife and we going through the changes of prison and reading, I understand now when we're talking about the living soul because when you talk about a soul, he's given the man power to think and, and, and to live and to love and to, and to do all these things and we have no control of him. We don't know how to control him and I didn't know how to love my wife. But through her um, just being there for me and everywhere they sent me, making sure that my children was there, I knew that this woman loved me. And I had to find out what it was that was causing my problems and, and, and trying to become strong in those areas. So at the end of my time, my present time, I was becoming strong in those areas. So it was 2007 now. My release date was 2010. Right. She comes to me, she says, I'm going to put you on my insurance. I said, well, well you, you're going to have to pay for that. I'm going to get out to 2010. She said, no, God put it on my heart that you're going to get out soon that's what she said sooner than what you think so I said alright so 2008 comes around I'm in a child line and the counselor walks up to me he said what are you doing here? because they had passed this law now and guys were getting out and I was like I'm trying to eat and I'm starving too he said well they they want you in the office I think they're going to release you all of a sudden my appetite went away you know, I, I rushed over there. I had to immediately uh, have to sign papers to go into the halfway house. So I had to wait another month to get in. But they released me early. Took two years off my time. And being out here, I'm kind of glad I went to prison. Because when I first got in there, God told me when I was in there complaining, he said that sometimes being in a worse place can be a good place for you. And I didn't understand it at first, but then I understood. And you know, I matured, I became strong as a man, I became strong as a father, and then I was becoming strong as a husband. You know, like she said, we we remarried in prison. And um, I was coming home to my wife. And um, since being out of prison, um, we just like any other couple. I mean, she she had to she had to she had to make sure that everything was good first you know, as far as her trust, you know, and my thing was, listen, I'm focused on God right now, 
I, I, I know you, you're weak in certain areas right now because I, I messed you up a little bit, I scarred you, but I'm telling you where I'm at right now. And um, I'm, I'm, this is my eighth year out of prison, seven. And every year our marriage gets strong. It's because we understand one another. And when we, we still fight, now when I mean about fight, I mean disagreements. And when we disagree and I get mad at her, we make sure that when we lay down in that bed, that one of us gets an understanding and apologizes so that we can start the day fresh. That's, that's how the relationship stays strong. You know, a couple things he talked about. He didn't know how to love me. And I remember going to counseling before I got my divorce. <laughs> and I would tell the counselor some of the things we were going through. And the counselor would just, and, but I would say, but he loves me. And my counselor and all of his wisdom would say, that's not love. And I didn't understand it in my first marriage until the second marriage. And I see the difference because the love is there and it's genuine. And uh, I understand why now my counselor will say that's not love. One of the things I did was we did counseling. My church in Pittsburgh had a counseling center and they did marriage counseling. So I went to the marriage counselor and there was a series of books that, that normally you would go through the husband and the wife. So we sent him the books. <laughs> so that's how we did our marriage counseling. And very prayerful because the people who questioned it were people who loved me and people who cared about me. And I think that there were things that I always saw in him that I guess other people didn't see. Like I've never, this may sound weird, I've never met the dealer. I've never seen a drug transaction. I've never seen, it was almost like he, I've never seen that shot. I've, I've only seen the father and, and the other shot. And a lot of people question it. But it's funny now because the people who questioned it are probably some of the same people who say, you need to talk to Paul and Donna. You know, um, who I often get, um, and I often tell people, because people kind of like, you know, I want what you have, but what God has is for you. It, what he did for us and how he did it is not how he's going to do it for you because you're two different people. And he and I are not the same people that we were in that first marriage. So I think it was just that reassurance that I had. Um, and, and, and I can't say I never said, I never questioned myself. I'm like, you know, if he comes out and asks the fool again, Everybody's gonna think I'm crazy. But you know what, I'm gonna try it anyway. And it took a long time for me to be secure. There were movies we could not watch. <laughs> there were movies we could not watch because it seemed like every movie has like the man cheating on his wife and then I'd be hot. <laughs> it was like date night was like no longer a good night, <laughs> you know. So, um, but it's, it's, it's good. It's, we're good. If you met a young woman mm -hmm. who said, my man has just gone to prison. He, he broke my trust doing whatever he was doing and he's just gone to prison, but he says he still wants to be with me. What advice would you give her? <laughs> wow. Um, depends on what he did. Um, like she said, you know, I was talking about the living soul and being soulmates. If you're a soulmate, that means that that person has the same likes and dislikes that you have. You're joined at the hip. Um, so, but we're not perfect. We make mistakes. And who am I to tell you what to do in your relationship? Because I don't know what's what is going on between the, the, the two of y'all uh, and the history of the two of y'all. So I, I couldn't answer that. Um, that would be something that they would have to work out. Um, this relationship could have failed at any time. Um, but it took a lot of work. And 
you know, because a lot of people ask, oh, y'all always seem so happy and smiling. Yeah, but, you know, we've been in valleys, you know, we rolled hills and then we rolled valleys. But every time that we're in the valley, there's something that we're learning from that. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is, is that the main thing is that I love them and that love I'm willing to do anything it takes to secure our marriage. You know, a lot of people love a lot of things, right? They, people love money, and some people have different types of love for money. Some people kill for money. Some people steal for money. Some people just say, well, I got money, okay. You know, same thing with when, when you're dealing with love, uh, loving another person. You know, um, I love this woman enough where I have to understand what it is that's putting a wedge in our relationship and get it out. Where before, I didn't care. It was all about me. Well, how can it be about me and there's two people in this in this relationship? So I, I, I don't know what I would tell this young lady, you know, because I don't know what they're going through. I don't know how much he loves her and she loves him. And if he changed. And will he change? Because you, you, you have to accept it. See, I went into prison and I accepted what was going on. I could have easily said, well, I don't, I don't care nothing about it. I've met brothers in there uh, that they was just, you know, listen, I don't care nothing about that. But then I met some some really good, intelligent people that are in prison that they really, I mean, they really get it, but they still got a lot of time that they got to do. They not never, some of them not never coming out. It's a shame. But I've learned from these guys. I, I, you know, these guys would sit down and, and, and talk to me and, and me absorbing what they were saying help me. So you got to, you have to have your mind open. You have to be able to accept uh, 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 what they call it? Uh, uh, let me talk about criticism. Uh, constructive criticism. A lot of people don't like that, but you know I welcome it. If it's going to help my help me and help my relationship, then you know, then I'm going to uh, listen and learn from it. We've been married all of five months. What advice do you have for us? Um, I think the candor, you know, a lot of times um, we think we know what somebody else is feeling or thinking and we always don't. So just being open and honest and candid about how you feel. If you want to know something, just ask and, and be honest with each other in your responses. Um, for me, God is central in our relationship, and that that has helped us. That's, that foundation is there, and we really respect each other. I respect who this man is, and I know who he respects who I am. And uh, and I think just being each other's biggest cheerleader. Yeah, cause see, she's not only my wife, but she's my friend. She is my buddy. Um, so there, she's my partner because you know we started a business, on a repair business, and she's my partner. You know, uh, but the most important thing is patience. Mm-hmm. When there's a disagreement, not to. Be careful what you say, because you don't want to hurt each other's feelings. Because you get angry with one another, you want to say hurtful things. Um, and I've learned that you have to be patient and analyze the situation first. And then once you analyze it and take time in what is going on, then go back and talk about it. Because then you'll be in a different state of mind you know, as far as anger. What's your favorite thing about each other? Well, when I first met her, I said her eyes. My wife had big eyes, and she still got big eyes, but she had the eyes is what attracted me. And, you know, right to this day, although it's 30-something years now, this is what I, I fell in love with her eyes. So there are always, always going to be her eyes that I love about her. I can look at her eyes and tell when she's tired, when she's happy, 
when she's mad, <laughs> uh, and when she's emotional. Mine is his strength. He has always been strong when I met him. He was always, and even now, he'll drop and do 100 push-ups like that. But I told him <laughs> when he came home, it wasn't the physical strength that uh, was important to me. It was the spiritual strength. And the, the spiritual strength that he has now is just so attractive and appealing to me. Um, the other strength is nice too, <laughs> but I would say his strength. Another thing is too, is that um, in our relationship in the beginning, we were like this. Um, and she, she told me when I first married her that I would be the one that messed the relationship up. That's what she said. Did I? That's what she said. And she was right. And what happened with me was I pulled up next to her now with my spiritual uh, and just having an understanding of who she is and, and, the, and the things that she, uh, that she likes and dislikes. So we like neck and neck now. And that makes a difference now. We can pat up now with each other. Yeah, and I think pay, paying attention to the details, paying attention to those things that that are important, that might seem small, but they're important to the other person, and not um, worrying about what other people think about it. You know, there are things I used to do for him and, and I had friends like, don't fix his plate. Well, you know what? I do it because I like to. So if that works in our relationship, I should not do it because somebody else thinks I shouldn't. We need to do what works for, for us. And my son, uh, my son, he, he's in a relationship now, but he's about to get married. And uh, him and his uh, girlfriend have been going through a lot. Um, but what I tell him about relationships uh, and being with your, with, your, with, your, with your girlfriend is that you have to keep it interesting. And you know, uh, and that's what we do. We 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 humor one another. Yeah, we laugh all the time. You know, <laughs> do silly things, and, and 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 not only that, but when she's working and I'm working, to realize that okay, it's time that we spend time together. Mm -hmm. you know? We make laugh. time for for us. Uh, we usually we have eleven grandchildren, and. Um, she usually grabbed them all in the summertime, and they stay a week in here, and it's crazy. Not and, all. And when the they leave, there was eight. when they leave, it's, it's my house is tore up. But I love them. Um, she does a lot, and we do a lot for the church. So I told her this year, it's about us. I told my grandchildren, I love you. She ain't coming over here this year for a week. They're coming come next and visit. weekend. Yeah, they're coming for a week. <laughs> But they, they, you know, we, we've taken this year, this summer for us to spend time, you know. But laugh, we laugh together, we sing together, we dance together, we pray together, and it's good. By the way, when you said you went in when you were 40, I, I couldn't even do any math, but like, y'all don't look older. I was like 40 plus 8, but like, you both look 40 right now. Oh, no, we're, we're no, we're, no, I'm 51 and 55. Right? I was like, so confused. Yes. Yeah. That was the other thing. He decided to do, become a drug dealer, like, in midlife, which... <laughs> who does that? Yes. I think it was, though. <laughs> I was just, I was just trying to, to... I was just trying to uplift my family financially. Yeah. But I realized that, you know, I, I, I work. And... Uh, they pay me an hourly wage. And then they say, well, listen, you know, you can do a lot of overtime. I said, I tell them, I said, you know what? It ain't about the money. It's about the personal time that I have once I leave this job to spend with my family. Mm -hmm. That's important. You know, where before it was about the money. So it's, it's not important as far as the money no more. It's about just being spending time with my wife because, you know, uh, we're getting older. We enjoy one another, and we know that one day that you know we, we want to move on from this life, and we just want to enjoy it while we can. Mm -hmm. 
even if we just sit out on our glider we at sit night. Out, we sit out in the yard. And, and both of us coming from the projects. We have a patch of grass. <laughs> and now we got all this grass. And I'm using a push mower, and uh, which we're going to change that next year. But we, but you know, what happens is I'll be out there mowing, and we have another. We have two mowers. Now we get out there to get. She'll come get from a mower. work, and she'll change her clothes and jump right out there on the yard and do the same thing. So it's just being, you know, on the same level. Yeah. You know, if 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 she's on this level and I'm on that level, the relationship is not going to work. I don't care who you are. But you also, have to find somebody that's doing the same thing that you like to do. But also your your own time. Like he he loves his motorcycle, so I need to allow him that time. You know, as long as he got a helmet, I'm good. So I, if he wants to go out and he wants to ride for half a day, he works hard every day. And I can't get mad. I, 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 I'm, I'm glad he has that outlet. He had to have three years left. So I guess I was in Pittsburgh at the time. And it was funny because as I was looking at letters and I read this, I realized that, that God had answered his prayers as well. Um, hello, my love. You were right. I was upset with myself. I love you so much, and I know it's my fault for the problems you've been going through. You sounded tired and all that waste of money. Sometimes I ask God to stop making it hard for you. This should be the time that you're in a position to enjoy yourself. But it was up to me to mess things up. I know God has made me a better man. Can I think about things I lost to what I have gained? What is life if you don't have God in your life? What a price I had to pay. What a price you had to pay. Do I say for the sake of knowing my father, these things must happen? Well, what a wretched man I am. After talking to you on the phone, I had to pray. What is it that I want? I want a chance to make love to you. I want a chance to live with you and know that I have every bit of your trust. I want to do and go places with you. I want to worship together. I want to make the rest of your life happy. I can't blame my son for what happened to that house. No, I'm the blame. I don't want you tired. I don't want you struggling. I don't want you lonely and unhappy. I ask God to give me the strength to get through the next three years because when I'm released, believe me when I tell you, I'm going to make you happy. But right now I feel like a horse's ass. <laughs> the time is 8.30 p.m. Another day comes to an end. Tonight I will dream about you, Donna. I will. Close my eyes and hug you and kiss you in my dreams. You are here with me until tomorrow, my love. And I realized after I read it that God had answered his prayers too because everything that he had prayed for and the things that he said he wanted our relationship to be is what it is.